The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Imagine making a car so daring and luxurious that you think it will change the automotive world forever. A luxury sedan with a V12 engine, built by a group of genius engineers who just wowed the world with the release of a massively successful roadster. A unicorn car that would take its maker from middle of the pack to number one. Money is spent, a lot of money. The makers believe it's a car that will compete with BMW, Mercedes, and Lexus car that will launch a whole new luxury brand. And then an economic collapse so big the impacts are felt for over two decades. The luxury sedan never gets produced. The project is canceled. That V12 engine never sees the light of day. In less than a year, the wonder car becomes a ghost. The badge is never launched, never seen, never talked about, never admitted to even being developed. That's the story of Amadi. In the late 1980s, Mazda, one of the smaller Japanese car companies, took a big swing and tried to create a luxury car brand. Mainly the success of their roadster, the Mazda Miata, and the successes of companies like Toyota making the Lexus. But it set its sights too high and wasted almost $400 million in the process. Today on Pass Gas, the Amati, Mazda's luxury brand that never was and to this day remains a mystery. How did Mazda go from zoom zoom to doom and gloom. Fast Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Zoom, zoom, muchachos. <laughs> yeah. That was the that was their uh like tagline, which was really weird. Yeah, there was like that one, the, the the fall ad campaign of 1989, where <laughs> yeah. they just had machine gun noises. No accompanying visuals, just machine gun noises over the Mazda logo. Well, they got they got um, what's his name? Who's the who's the big Steven drug Seagal? De- no, the big drug dealer. Uh, um, Tim Allen. <laughs> yeah, they got Tim Allen, and he kicked down the door. <laughs> and it was just it was like it was like really like smoky, you know, like really like a lot of yeah. atmosphere in the commercial. And they say, "Who's there?" <laughs> There's like like my, like vague insurgents. Yeah, it's like Lexus and Infinity, and like just like this boardroom of all yeah. the luxury brands. Mercedes is there, BMW <laughs> is there, and Tim Allen just kicked down the door. Wearing an Abe Lincoln top hat. And, and they say, and, who's there? And then he goes, Ugh. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> And they were like, oh, no. And then he kicks in the door and he goes, zoom, zoom, muchachos. <laughs> and just like wrecks them all with a Tommy gun. Yeah, the 90s were weird, man. Yeah, yeah it was weird. Super weird.
I'm excited about this one. Uh, I'm a big Mazda fan. I think Mazda is a really cool car company. And um, if you look at a lot of the Japanese brands, you know, uh, Toyota, ha- they all have like a, a luxury affiliate. Yeah. Yeah. They had, you know, Toyota's famously got Lexus. Great car company. Nissan, they founded Infinity. Honda had uh, Acura. Acura, of course. Yeah, and so Mazda's really the only one who doesn't have one. And uh, I think we're going to find out today. It's not for lack of trying. That's right. But can you can you actually see, like, Amadi is, like, the weakest name out of all of those. Like, Lexus is sick. Uh, Acura, you know, conjures up, like like drafting tools and like, <laughs> yeah, like you know like accurate, accurate stuff i don't know yeah but uh, amadi sounds like like a like a cousin like george amadi's come into the family picnic like be put on your best clothes <laughs> or amadi um, amadi sounds like um uh an r&b lady from like the late 90s early 2000s that uh r kelly kept prisoner oh like ashanti yeah yeah it's like oh there's Aaliyah and amadi and like r kelly married amadi when she was 12 right right i think amadi to me sounds like a fake car company from grand theft auto mm-hmm. like, oh, oh for sure. yeah that's the amadi g111 or whatever yeah anyway welcome to past gas um this is not an r kelly show this is not grand theft auto show this is an automotive history show I'm your host, Nolan Sykes, joined as always by Joe Weber. <laughs> Fire up that wink juice. <laughs> and James Pumphrey. I don't know what's going on with my dog. <laughs> That's my new uh, one. <laughs> how, is, how is your dog, James? I don't think she's doing well right now. <laughs> she is alarmed. Oh, she's barking. I thought she was like, you know whining or something no she's got groom she looks real cute but she oh. is she's on one today she is suspicious about something that's going on outside <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing nolan no one ever asked nolan how he's doing yeah, no one ever asked nolan how he's doing it's all right uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh you know uh it's friday after a long shoot week we've shot a lot of con i feel like i say that every time we record this podcast but um yeah we just shot like i shot six wheelhouses this week six wheelhouses yeah. i am like zero percent sarcasm 100 percent genuine very impressed by that i think uh you should be very proud of yourself and i know joe's on wheelhouse now and uh you guys did a great job yeah yeah, the, the, Thanks, all James. the credit all the credit goes to Joe. I think I'm, I'm just the mouth. Joe really made all the uh, the the gears turn to get those scripts ready in time. Oh, so. you put your stank on them too. You you had that last <laughs> polish finish yeah, on dude. it. All right, I did it all. I did it all, guys. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's tons of your goop all over that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get all into right. it. All right, all right. <laughs> to understand why Amadi failed, we have to look at Japan's economy in the 1980s. We're going to have to go a little big short on you today. But how did this economic downturn affect Japanese automakers? Why was it so bad? And how did it affect Mazda specifically? In 1992, Japan's price bubble burst after five years of growth. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that both real estate and stock prices were inflated during this time. The most famous example of this inflation was a real estate assessment done at the height of Japan's bubble. This assessment valued one piece of land in the heart of Tokyo as more expensive than the entire state of California. Another report in the New York Times valued all the land in Japan at $13.47 trillion. That was more than the value of all the land in the United States. And to be clear, this is not money being spent. It's the value being estimated. This led to inflation and companies thinking they had more capital than was actually there. I imagine the person who's like assessing this uh, is like Yosemite Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Yibbidee, yibbidee. (laughs) That's Porky Pig. (laughs) Like, I I don't know why, but it's just like somebody going like, yeah, this is 
uh, worth more than the whole U.S. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Total, I mean, yeah, totally, totally, totally. So you can imagine when the bubble burst, many Japanese people were out a lot of money. In fact, the burst bubble had negative effects in the... Oh, my God. In fact, the burst bubble had negative effects on the Japanese economy for over 20 years. It led to what is now known as the lost decade in Japan. During the height of the bubble, Japanese car makers were having a bit of a moment. The cars that were made and developed in this era in Japan in the late 80s and early 90s were all high quality and developing new technology rapidly. Some might say putting American car makers to shame. I would definitely say that. This high for Japanese car makers led to the creation of badges like Lexus and Acura. It also led to smaller companies thinking they had a shot at luxury badges. I mean, even now, you look back at, you know, late 80s and uh, early to mid 90s Japanese cars, they're worth a lot of money still. Yeah. It was really a moment for cars that will be a chapter in the history of automobiles forever. You know what I mean? Like, so many amazing automobiles happened in this time uh, in Japan. Yeah, we're talking the Daewoo-Lanos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about it in our Midnight Club episodes a while back, but like, there was just so much money in Japan. Everyone had a surplus. Parents were out there just buying their kids like Nissan 300ZXs. If the kid crashed it, they'd just go ahead and buy another one, like no problem. There's just so much extra money going around that could fuel the development of all, of all these cars, like, you know, all the, the R32 to the R34 uh, GTR, you know? I mean, at this time, just look at Nissan, okay? Nissan had a Silvia turbocharged four-cylinder coupe. They had the 300ZX. Uh, they had the Skyline, which is, that is two twin-turbo V6 motors. Two different twin-turbo V6 motors under one roof no not even that the 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 300z was a v was the v6 and then the skylines they had in they had the rb26 right so they had inline they had both v6 yeah. and in they had v6 and inline twin turbocharged engines that'll never happen that's again so stupid. <laughs> never, that's so ever stupid ever like, i never again. thought about that yeah. that is yeah. really yeah, that's crazy yeah yeah so like like <laughs> nowadays it's like a car company won't even develop their own twin turbo six cylinder motor it's like multiple companies share the same engine right but like nissan at the same time have the rb and the v was it v vg 30 d-e-t-t yeah so like they like it'll never happen again it's like one of those situations where it's just like what the <laughs> was going on this is insane so you could say, James, that Japanese car companies peaked in the early 90s. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and then once that bubble burst, there was a lot of collateral damage. One of those companies, Mazda, was hit the hardest. With the collapse of the asset bubble stopping the development of Amadi in its tracks, a luxury car that never was because of some real estate that was never really worth the price. Look, man, I don't care how nice that land is. It's never, it'll never be worth in California. It'll never be worth more than California. <laughs> I'm stealing your milkshake. <laughs> uh, so that explains what was happening in Japan at the time. But the economy in the U.S. also impacted the Japanese car market in the 80s and 90s. The U.S. market had a big effect on why and how Mazda decided to try its hand at a luxury brand. To better understand Amadi, we need to understand a little bit of history. Mainly, how did American economics and a policy influenced by Chrysler lead to Japanese automakers going into the luxury car market? Way, way back in 1973, in the United States, there was a little thing called the oil crisis. We made a shirt uh, about it. You can buy it at DonutMedia.com. <laughs> Lots of new merch coming. Super excited. Uh, join our mailing list to make sure you don't miss any of it. The oil crisis started in October 1973 when Saudi Arabia declared an oil embargo on the United States. By the end of the embargo in March 1974, the price of oil had risen almost 300%, with U.S. prices rising even higher than in other countries. 
People were paying a lot for gas and were sick of cars that had bad fuel economy. Americans wanted economic cars, but American car companies like GM, Ford, and Chrysler weren't making these kinds of cars. They had not prepared for this shift in consumer demands. This led to all of the American automakers losing market share to Japanese brands. This also led to American automakers losing a lot of money. When big American automakers started hemorrhaging dollars, you can be sure that their next move will be a visit to our nation's capital, specifically the halls of Congress. Chrysler was upset about losing market share to Japanese automakers, and the company's lobbyists were highly effective in communicating that upsetness to our lawmakers. They convinced the U.S. government to bail them out. Chrysler got a $2 billion loan guarantee from Congress, and the Chrysler Loan Guarantee Act was signed by President Jimmy Carter. This saved Chrysler from bankruptcy, but it also led to a public discussion about the best way to protect the American auto industry. In the 80s, President Reagan negotiated with the Japanese government and got them to agree to a voluntary export cap, limiting the number of imported vehicles from Japan to the United States to 1.68 million vehicles per year. Uh, that may seem like a big number, but uh, at this point, Japan was making most of its money in the United States off of economy cars. So like that business model is like sell as many cars as you can. Uh, there's a very low profit margin on cheap cars. So when you put a cap on how many you can sell, you have to like start thinking of a different way to do things. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story of Lexus is one of my favorite stories. Well, also too, it wasn't just like, Oh, Reagan negotiated with the Japanese government. He was like strong armed them into putting a cap. Yeah, it was it was more like how the mob asks to protect uh, the corner shop. Yeah, it's like it's like, hey, you know what? Like, I think we should put a cap on how many vehicles you can import. And they're like, no, here. no, we want to sell a bunch. <laughs> no, of them. I think that like that's probably a pretty good idea because like we got Ford. And <laughs> so like you. Well, just for some context, you know, the United States imposed a huge tariff on Japanese electronics like computers and televisions and all that kind of stuff. So like the auto industry, I'm sure they were like, hey, if you don't do this voluntarily, we're going to like impose a 100% tariff on your cars. And Japan is like, obviously, that'll we can't do that. So that's what that voluntary, quote unquote, voluntary restriction is. So much of the free market, right? Dude, God, this makes me this honestly makes me so mad at this story every time because it's like. The Americans, we were we were skating by so easily, like because like the customers didn't really know any better. It's just like, hey, here's like these really bad cars, just terrible. They're they're making such a terrible product. And then the Japanese come in with their economy cars. At first, they weren't great. Granted, they weren't. They were economy cars, but they got better over time. In like the course of like ten years, these economy cars started getting really good. And then that's when the the car companies got scared. And this whole thing about, you know, quote, a quote unquote free market, but really it's not, uh, comes into play. It just makes me so mad every time we talk about this thing. All right. Anyway, not only was there a need to create a luxury market in the United States because of the import limit, but there was also an increase in demand for luxury cars in Japan as Japanese consumers became wealthier. This meant there was an intense competition between all of the Japanese automakers and everyone wanted to be the best. There's now potential to be selling a luxury badge that did well in the U.S. and Japan. Not only that, but because of the asset price bubble, all of these auto companies were able to get endless amounts of capital to develop new cars. And with this competition, each car was more innovative and exotic than the last. It was a perfect climate for any smaller car company to try their hand at bigger, better, more luxurious cars. It all felt too big to fail. Cue ominous music. You're not supposed to read that, James. Uh? (laughs) (laughs) If they don't want me to read it, then why is it in the thing? Okay? Cue (laughs) ominous music. Gavin, cue it! (laughs) This is what you were talking about before. Like, instead of companies trying to one up each other and cut corners they're actively trying to make a better car than the other one 
and there it created some of the coolest cars at least from our lifetime bro like this is one of the most important moments in automotive history like this is just when like they got so good that it forced everybody else to get so good japanese cars of this era because of all of this got so good that american cars got better german cars got better every single car company was forced to like rise to the top and like and you know like one of the reasons like that embargo happened because it was like everyone was like yo chill out (laughs) (laughs) yeah they set a new benchmark yeah it's like can you just like relax yeah our car companies (laughs) will die if you keep going like this yeah Yeah, like dude we got a good thing going on over here can you just dude we just rolled out this k car platform (laughs) we got high hopes for it uh we got a we got 17 different shades of tan we're gonna paint it in yo i got a 7.8 liter v8 that makes 110 (laughs) horsepower and gets negative four miles to the gallon can you just chill please <laughs> like the kid in the class that throws the curve on the test yeah 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 they japan threw the curve yeah japan asked the teacher at the end of class like is there any homework <laughs> you didn't uh ma'am you didn't collect our homework from last night oh come on nissan get out of <laughs> yeah. here dude oh maybe after class nissan yeah <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just tariff bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they threw the curve that's a great analogy they threw that's the a curve. great analogy takes me back to my bad math days all right um <clears throat> i think no one needs therapy <laughs> enter the underdog in a business where underdogs almost never prospered mazda was a small scrappy company but they wanted to be bigger They had less money and resources than Toyota and Nissan, but those bigger companies also showed that a high level of success was possible, and their goal was to become Japan's third major automaker. Mazda had big dreams, an insane strategy, and not a lot of money to accomplish their goals. What could go wrong, I ask? Before we talk about the Amati's failure, we have to talk about one of Mazda's successful projects, the Miata. In the spring of 1989, Mazda launched the Miata, and it was a hit spurring on the sense of optimism within the company that their experimentation was working. In 1989, the MX-5 Miata debuted. Mazda had designed proposals from both its Japanese and American offices. Mazda ended up going with the American design. This became the MX-5. The design was similar to a classic British sports car with its rear-wheel drive and engine in the front. When the Miata was officially released in 1990, it lightly resembled a 60s-era Lotus Elan remade for the modern era. At launch, the MX-5 Miata was powered by a 116 horsepower, 1.6 liter engine, and was solely available with a five-speed manual transmission. I'm a manual guy. I like shifting the gears myself. I'm a real Oh, nothing like that fourth pedal, am I right, guys? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I got all four pedals. I use all five of my legs when I drive. (laughs) (laughs) It could also be had with power windows and aluminum wheels and AC. And speakers in the headrests. Stuff that makes a car comfortable. But no matter how it was equipped, the MX-5 Miata was extremely lightweight by modern standards. Basically a great roadster that when it was released won numerous accolades, including Automobile Magazine's 1990 Automobile of the Year and placing on Car and Driver's 10 Best List from 1990 to 1992. It's a good car. Great car. Legend. I'd say Legendary. Legendary. The success of the Miata got in Mazda's head. It made the little company think it could continue to reach and grow and profit off a luxury badge. After all, no one thought Mazda could build a roadster, and the Miata had been a hit. Clearly, Mazda could do no wrong. They were about to fly a little too close to the sun with an endeavor that was appropriately named Project Pegasus. They were about to fly too close to the Sunburst yellow. Oh, James. yeah. Which Wait, is... was Pegasus didn't fly into the sun, did it? 
No, Pegasus was a horse with with feathers. That was Icarus. Yeah, you're right. If it was called Project Icarus, <laughs> it, wasn't just, it had wings. It had feathers on the wings. Yeah. Pegasus wasn't just a horse with feathers. <laughs> That's called going to what was that? The third third base or some skipping a step in the joke, James. Oh, a to, a to D. I went A to C on that one. I think. Yeah. <laughs> horse with feathers. <laughs> A horse, it is. With, a horse yeah i mean technically yeah but if you don't mention like a horse with feathers is worse than a horse yeah <laughs> it's just like kind of a pokier horse it's gotta, it's gotta have the see your horse yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors you can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Mazda had proven it could punch above its weight class, and now the company was eager to zoom, zoom into the luxury business. <laughs> but what went into the development of Mazda's luxury car brand? Who was in charge? How was the relationship between the Japanese and American branches working for Mazda? Who ultimately took the fall? Mazda gets started on designing a new luxury brand and appointed Dick Colliver, a 20-year Mazda veteran, to head the project. It was codenamed Pegasus and announced to the press in August of 1991. At this announcement, Mazda said it would launch its new luxury badge in the first quarter of 1994. At the time... Kenichi Yamamoto was the head of Mazda and encouraged the Pegasus team. Yamamoto was the one who wanted Mazda to continue to grow and expand. He had been the one who approved the plans for the Miata and pushed the Roadster into existence. Now, he wanted Mazda to grow and make it to the next level as a company. Project Pegasus got to work. They started hot gluing feathers all <laughs> over that horse. <laughs> and then like someone walked in they were like time out what are you doing and they were like oh you know what i think we may have taken this too literally they were like yeah you think yeah we got to put this horse down i guess you're supposed to design a car and they were like oh yeah you know what that makes a lot of sense <laughs> look horses don't go downstairs they go upstairs and that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> they started working on a luxury sedan they would call Amadi. The plan was to use a V12 engine using pieces from Mazda's existing V6 program. At this time, I want to point out that the Mazda V6 was like awesome. Like it's like a very small displacement V6 like found in like the MX-6. And uh, I think some MX-3s, but like low displacement engines with a lot of cylinders are like one of my favorite things. And the V6 that Mazda had at this point was super sick. And in my head, this V12 is awesome. Just two of them put together? Yeah. Hey, do you think it's possible to have the shape of like an airplane engine? You know how the cylinders are all like in a circle? kind of like that? engine like that, yeah. And put that inside of a rotary engine. No. A three-cylinder engine inside <laughs> of a rotary engine. Can it be made? No. That doesn't make any sense. 
1991, and by 1992, <laughs> Mazda would announce the discontinuation of Amati. The company was flying high, so what went wrong? Mazda had designers and engineers working on Amati in Japan and the U.S. They had a track record with the Miata. When the team for Amati started working on the car, there were two branches, one in Japan and one in the U.S., naturally. From the beginning, there was tension between the Mazda offices in the U.S. and the main office in Japan. For example, one of the Mazda plants in the U.S., where Mazda built cars to avoid import restrictions, had quality control problems. The Japanese tried to blame this on the Americans, but soon they started building cars at their plant in Japan and had the exact same problems. Oh, pot calling the kettle black. Not only that, but Mazda was a small company with not a lot of extra cash. One former employee said that Mazda wouldn't even pay for new notebooks for the engineers. Come on, man. And to top it all off, Mazda was working on several other brands, and many thought stretching itself too thin and causing brand confusion. All of these factors meant that in 1992, Amadi shut its doors, bowing to economic pressure. John O'Dell wrote in the Los Angeles Times in October of 1992, quote, Mazda Motors of America said Monday that it's canceling plans to launch its Amati luxury car division in the United States. Full stop. <laughs> and that was that. Amati was no more. Mazda would never mention the car again. One of the strangest things about the whole saga is that to this day, Mazda denied it ever happened. Maybe that's because in Japanese culture, a failure like Amati is seen as losing face. And Mazda did not want to lose face. Never want to lose your face. In 2019, one journalist was even told not to ask the company about the luxury badge because it was still a, quote, touchy subject. <laughs> or maybe because it was just such a failure. One paper estimated that Mazda had spent no less than 50 billion yen, about $400 million in 1992 dollars, on the brand. Either way, it's been over 20 years, and Mazda will still not admit to what happened. I mean, why didn't they just do... Like a three-cylinder engine inside of a rotary engine and save some money. <laughs> Amati um, is the name of um, like really fancy violin. Oh, really? Yeah. The violin has, weirdly enough, a three-cylinder airplane engine inside of a rotary engine. <laughs> wow that's such a smart design <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes the violins sound so good i just realized uh so amadi <laughs> amadi is a conjugation of amato and part of my family their last name is damato so you'd be joe damato in a mazda amadi <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a notary <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to your house. <laughs> All I need is your signature. I'll let you borrow the stamp for seventy-five <laughs> bucks. <laughs> Mazda developed so much for the Amati and ended up throwing most of the work away. However, some of the development for the Amati was recycled. What happened to the parts of the Amati that did make it into development? Well, since Mazda will not admit the Amati ever existed, everything is conjecture from car enthusiasts and journalists, but we can make some guesses. One of the big saves for the Amati badge was in 1994, the Unos 800, the car planned to be released under the Amati badge, was renamed the Mazda Millennia. Huh. And sold in America. The Millennia is famous for loving Harry Potter, wearing skinny <laughs> jeans, doing side parts. Yeah, you know, <laughs> with the context of it being a possible luxury car, it looks very much like it seems it looks like a lower level Lexus, like an ES. It looks like a Lexus ES. Mazda's design language at this time was like really weird. Like it looked really great in like on the RX seven and the Miata. But like translating it to like their compact cars and especially their sedans, like that kind of like low slung, very aerodynamic like design language just looked kind of mm -hmm. melty. Uh, the Millennia replaced the Mazda 929 as the brand's flagship car in America. It did not go unnoticed how luxury this non-luxury car was with reviews noting the Millennia's quality well above the rest of Mazda's fleet. 
Even in its advertising, Mazda said, uh, we put the money into the car and not into luxury, into a luxury division and uh, all that overhead. Don't look this up or anything. Yeah, so we did that on purpose because, like, we're not going to start a luxury brand. That would be stupid uh, and dumb. So we just did this. The tagline for the millennia is like, like a luxury horse with feathers. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't fly too close to the sun this time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many people also think that the second generation Mazda Sentia that launched in 1995 is the Amati 1000 body repurposed with a Mazda JV6 and the Sentia mechanical foundation. The V12 engine Mazda was developing for Amati is a different story. They were already gearing up to build the Amati V12 engine and had the assembly line ready to go. Mazda wanted to find another way to use this engine. The American division of Mazda drew up a V12-powered 2 plus 2 that was fully mocked up. But Ford, who had bought controlling shares in Mazda, canceled the project. Because Ford ruins everything fun. <laughs> the V12 engine was fully shelved and never seen by the public. However, the website Jalopnik has noted that the proposed V12 concept strongly resembles the Mazda RX-8 which went into production in 2003, which means basically we have never seen the V12, but we may have seen the car. Crazy. Can you imagine a V12 powered RX-8? I got, I'm half hard. <laughs> 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 like literally, like it moved. The V6 in the Mazda MX-6 is 2.5 liters. It would have been a five liter V12 RX-8. Wow. What? Ooh. Aaron, our buddy Aaron, uh, Aaron Parker, um, swears that the RX-8 is one of the best handling cars in the world. So a V12-powered one would be pretty sick. While Mazda tried and failed with Amati, other Japanese automakers were successful in their endeavors, even with the asset price bubble. What made them different? How were brands like Lexus so successful while Amati was an epic failure? Well, one of the major differences between Amati and other successful Japanese luxury badges was the timing. 
Honda, Toyota, and Nissan all started working on their luxury brands in the early 80s, giving them the time to get their foot in the market before the bubble burst. They knew there would be growth in the luxury car market as Americans recovered from the recession of the early 80s, and as baby boomers started getting older and having more money. Yeah, what's that like? All these factors combined meant Honda launched Acura in 1986, Toyota launched Lexus, and Nissan launched Infiniti in 1989. Arguably, the most successful of all three was Lexus. Yeah, so Toyota started working on their luxury badge in 1983. The chairman of Toyota, Aiji Toyoda, told the company he wanted them to build the world's best car. The project was codenamed F1 for Flagship One. Clearly, having a cool code name is a big part of getting into the luxury car business. Flagship One developed the Lexus LS 400. One of the most important cars in the history of cars. That's right, James. The team behind Lexus spent time on focus groups and market research. They set up their headquarters, I think, their design headquarters, was it in New Newport Beach? Laguna Beach. Laguna Beach. Yes, it was. It was Laguna Beach. Thank you, James. Like we mentioned earlier, part of the F1 team rented a house in Laguna Beach. Oh, right there. It's in the script. And took notes on how rich Americans spent their money. The F1 team also spent time prototype testing on the German Autobahn. When they said they wanted to build the world's best car, they weren't kidding, Joe. Well, that's where Mazda got it wrong. They set up their headquarters in Glendale outside of Phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) Outside of Phoenix. Oh, Glendale, Arizona. Oh, Oh, no. The second best Glendale. The second best Glendale. (laughs) Do you know that Glendale translates to Valley Valley? Glen and Dale both mean valley. I'm going to name my sons Glen and Dale. (laughs) Anyway, Acura, meanwhile, was able to capitalize on the market reach of Honda to put up impressive numbers in the 80s. In their first year in business, they sold over 100,000 cars, soon outpacing the output of companies like Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and even Lexus. While Acura's performance would suffer during the lost decade to come, Acura would see a resurgence in popularity as their so-called tuner cars like the Integra became popular with younger customers. Interestingly enough, neither Acura nor Infiniti, Nissan's luxury badge, were used in the Japanese domestic market. Instead, Honda and Nissan's higher-end cars were part of the parent company's lineup. Infiniti got off to a slower start than Lexus and Acura, failing to find the same level of enthusiasm for its offerings, which lacked the panache of Lexus and Acura. The brand has never really found its footing, announcing in 2019 that it would depart the Western European market to focus on China and the United States. Still, at least Infiniti had a chance, unlike Amadi. I mean, what's like the most recognizable infinity that you can think of like the first one that comes to mind for g35 me yeah, g35 and, and g37 that's my least literally least favorite car <laughs> yeah you don't like them i wanted one really bad in high school i thought they're so cool so you you just don't like the styling of the g35 i think it looks bad and then i think like the majority of the g35s that i've seen i don't like they're modded poorly Although a G35 sedan with a six speed, that's a cool car, man. I would love that. That's a cool friggin' car. Yeah, I don't think that first gen G35 has aged super well. Uh, It's pretty blocky. The back looks like a boat. I like the back. I like those taillights. I remember in high school, my buddy uh, Vashal, um, he had a G35. He was like a couple years older. He was on the track team, or he he did like throwing with me. I was like, damn, Vashal's cool. It was like a gunmetal gray, but he had like darker gunmetal gray wheels with it. It looked so sick. It was tight. I think like the cool older dude in high school that hangs out with you and likes cars is such an influence. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For the rest of your life. Like Mike, mine is like this dude Cam and this dude Liam who are a couple years older than me. Cam had a Mark IV GTI. Uh, with exhaust lowered and wheels uh, and on stock wheels. And then Liam had an, a black E30 325IS with the plastic bumpers lowered on A7 type A's. Like they're like these like chunky five spokes. And like to this day, that's the coolest car to me. Like an E30 lowered on chunky five spokes is the coolest car. And they smoked cigarettes. 
<laughs> and like we didn't hang out but like when i saw them at like big rock which is like the park we all like hung out at like they'd be like yo what's up pumphrey how's your gti i'd be like i was like yeah that's it's <laughs> good, Liamma. How's your rich dad and your stepmom? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a Buick Skylark in high school, and uh, needless to say, I set the trend for the next uh, frosh coming in. As much as Mazda had big ambitions, they had bad timing and not enough money. In hindsight, trying to compete with brands like Lexus and Acura seems like a bad idea. But Mazda was scrappy and didn't want to admit defeat. But with a combination of the economic downfall of Japan and oversaturation in the luxury car market and not market testing with the real housewives of Laguna Beach, maybe Amati was destined to fail. Perhaps the biggest point of disappointment around the Amati badge is all of the what could have beens. Mazda was so shamed by its failure, we have very little information about the whole project. The only reason we have any information about it is because of very enthusiastic car journalists doing deep dives and former employees of the American side of Mazda giving some interviews. But Mazda destroyed most of it, the promotional material and refuses to talk about Amadi. In all this, we see that even if you build the best car with the best engine, sometimes factors bigger than a single car company, global politics, an economic collapse and an oversaturation of the market means it doesn't matter how good a car is. Amadi probably never had a shot, but we'll never know. Maybe Amadi will live again. Mazda could use a reboot of some sort with the future of cars looking increasingly electric and Infiniti recently announcing its entire range will be electric or hybrid. Maybe a 2031 all electric version of Amadi could be in the future. Hmm, interesting. I have a hot take. What's your hot take, James? So like even though all of these other Japanese luxury brands were intended for the American market, mm-hmm. they were very Japanese. They are very Japanese. Like Lexus is very much Toyota. Acura is very much Honda to the uh, extent that like they sell lexus and acura models in japan as toyota and honda mm-hmm. i think mazda allowing ford to be its daddy ruined any chance of amati because because like the reason that these japanese car brands worked is because they came in and they raised the curve and they were like hey america this is what's possible right so like you know, it's like the same reason you don't take money from investors unless you can spend it because you're like diluting your influence. Like, I think Ford killed Amati. I think Ford is the reason that Mazda hasn't made like another RX car uh, and hasn't been as successful as it could have been because like, like what was Ford making in the 90s? Ford was making... Do you think that Lincoln, the Lincoln of this era could have conflicted with the Amadi if it would have come out? I don't think they did it on purpose necessarily. I just think they were like bad at it. And I, it seems like Mazda gave Ford too much respect and listened to them too much. Okay. That's my hot take. That could be. That's my real house. Mazda today, I mean, they're, uh, they're independent. They're independent now, but like they're also like... I've been to Mazda a number of times and like met with them and they're very like, yeah, we're small and we're good being small. Like we're okay. I love, I love (laughs) their current lineup. I think the, the CX five is like one of the best cars that you can buy today. I firmly believe that. Yeah. Casey's, uh, Casey's, uh, one of her best friends was like, just had a baby and was like, what car should I get? And, uh, they ended up buying a CX five. I would have a CX-5. My mom, my mom said two of them. Um, they're great cars. Yeah, their design language is amazing. It's They're some of the best looking, uh, I, I say economy cars in quotes. But yeah, they're one of the best looking affordable cars. I tried to get my little sister to buy a CX-5 because, you know, like if you, if you ask people that don't have cars as their hobbies what they want in a car, they all describe the CX-5. 
you know, like short, not huge so you can park it, uh, but enough space that you can utilize it in that sense. And then, you know, like not severe design language enough. Like it's, it's a car for the masses. And I want all, I want all the tech stuff from like nice cars and like a nice interior that makes me feel proud of myself because I'm buying a new car. So it's, you know, the Amati wasn't Mazda. It, it was kind of, I wonder where it would have been if Mazda would have been around today, if they would have, you know, bit the bullet and went through with this project. So I, I'm glad that they didn't. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Good episode. Uh, if you'd like to email us, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, tune in next week. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? New merch huge we're leveling up our merch game huge it was already sick it's about to get honestly guys i'm not exaggerating a thousand percent sicker dude we've seen some of these designs and they are amazing i can't wait to get my hands on all these shirts we have a dude working for us that's amazing uh mo power baby redesign uh high low merch um, I'm not quite sure when everything's dropping, but the best way to not miss it is to just go to donutmedia.com and join our mailing list. You get a discount on stuff uh, for doing that, and we promise we won't. Yeah, ten percent, and we promise we won't be annoying about it. It's literally just getting an email when new drops. Um, so do that and uh, watch our videos on YouTube, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, be be kind. Fire up that wink wink juice. Fire up that wink wink juice, and I have no idea what's going on with my dog. (laughs) All right. (laughs) See you later. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.